Well, good morning, church family. Man, you guys worshiped this morning. You guys are awesome, and it's wonderful to see your beautiful faces here this morning for part three of our teaching series, Unchanging. And before we jump into part three, uh, I shared my heart with you what was transpiring uh, last weekend in my family's life, and I just want to give you a quick update. I belong to a very special church family. You guys have been incredible. You guys have been prayer warriors with my family for the past week plus. The meals that have been delivered, my family deeply appreciates that. As we sit this morning, my father is beginning to see a miracle happen. The left side of his heart that collapsed This morning they are taking the pump out because they said we've seen enough healing to believe it can pump now. And so praise God. (laughs) So thank you church family. I don't ever want to pray to something, I want to pray through something. The problem is too many of us, our prayer life, we pray to something and then that's it. We need to keep praying through something. So I'm asking and coveting your prayers that we keep praying through because the doctor's words continue to say he's still very, very sick. And uh, you guys know those in the medical field with or had loved ones with heart issues, the heart can still turn on a dime. <laughs> right that. But right now, I'm still preparing for the worst, but praying for the best. And I thank you for joining in on that journey uh, this past week with me and just keep Keep praying, keep praying. I th- this past week, my brother and I were talking. I said, I don't think I've ever prayed this hard before in my life. Right? And it's funny that when you go into the valley and you get on your knees and you realize no matter what hell on earth you may be facing, God is still there. And I think from my own spiritual journey, what I realized, Ryan, why don't you keep praying like that even on the mountains? That's a whole nother message, by the way. (laughs) I just need to pause there. Well, welcome to part three of our series, Unchanging, where we are looking at a Nicene Creed as the foundation for our series. But we are looking at unchanging truths. No matter what the world is saying and no matter how culture shifts amongst us, that there are biblical truths that just are unchanging. And we are in the middle of sitting in what is known as the Nicene Creed that was created in AD 325 in Nicene that the church leaders got together and realizing that some of their biblical truths were under attack. Most importantly, what was under attack was the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was actually God. There was a group of them that believed that Jesus was just created. He is not God. And they got together and says, hold on, that's not what we believed. And the problem is, culture was starting to say that and it was seeping into the church. So they got together and said, hey, we need to get together and drive some peers and pillars of our faith to say, no, this is what we believe and it's unchanging. And so that's what we are doing throughout this series, and we're in the middle of it. And if you want to pick up the creed that we we created for you, you can go right outside there. Over there is our information wall. You can grab it, and there's more there. It's a stack of them. And you can just pick it up and just keep reading through it and studying it. But I'm going to ask a question this morning. I'm just curious. Um, Think of vacation, 
How many of you prefer the mountain for vacation? Let me hear you and raise your hand. Let me hear you. Okay, I think I like saw more hands than I heard noise. <laughs> That's all right. Some of you are mountain people. You're like, take me away there, away from people, right? <laughs> Just get me to the mountain escape. I enjoy that. How many of you, you're beach people? Yeah, yeah you would be, you scandalous people. Right? How many of you just say, get me away? I don't care anywhere, just get me away. Right? Yeah. How many parents after week one of school are already saying, oh, dear Lord, take me away? Right? We will pray for you. Whether we're a mountain people or beach people, I, one of my last vacations I took was to the beach. And, you know, if you're with kids, they often love to build sandcastles. And part of their building of sandcastles is you as an adult realize they can build an awesome sandcastle and build this incredible moat that, you know, when the tide or when the wave comes in, it creates this cool little moat. And you're like, man, you're spending a lot of work, but I know what's going to happen tonight. That tide's going to come and all your creation will be eroded away. And then they wake up the next morning and they go and run to the beach and realize, ah, oh, where'd it go? But you as an adult know Anything built on sand when the tide comes will erode. It will go away. My fear in our culture today as Christians, as disciples and followers of Jesus, that too many of us are built our life on sand. So when the tide and the waves of culture comes, it sweeps us away. This, every week I've shown you, shown you this house a coastal home that is built on piers, built on those strong pillars so that when the tide comes, when a hurricane comes and the waters rush through the house, the house will still stand. And that is what this series is trying to get at with us and in us and through us is that you and I will be able to stand no matter what life throws at us. No matter what life throws at us. So for many of us, this may be the first time that we're really understanding some deep spiritual truths to our faith. Keep exploring, keep wrestling. I think it's healthy to wrestle with questions and wrestle with our faith. I think it's healthy for us. I also believe for some of us that are like, I just, man, I know my faith. I just, my prayer is that it would continue to deepen and enrich your faith where we don't become like the church in the book of Revelations, that we've lost our first love, that you still are passionately on fire for Jesus Christ. And allow this journey through the Nicene Creed be that thought process. So we're gonna jump into the third part of the Nicene Creed. We've been taking the chunks of it together. But I, I, you gotta know this though. I gotta know if you're fired up this morning. So turn your neighbor and say, get fired up. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's jump in. Yes, let's jump in to the third part of the Nicene Creed. We've covered part one and part two, third part. Settle down, I need to talk, people. All right? <laughs> Kidding. I did tell you to talk, so it's my fault. All right. Third part, here we go. Who for us humanity and for our salvation... <laughs> Just saying about that. Came down from heaven, was incarnate, was made human, 
was born perfectly to the Holy Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, by whom he took body, soul, and mind, and everything that is in man truly and not in semblance. Week today, we are going to talk about Jesus. Last week, or two weeks ago when we started, week one, we brought the message, and the idea was that we talked about there is a creator God, and that you and I are created in the image of God. We learned that theological term that you're going to win a Jeopardy question on. That God's creation and humanity was very special. You and I were created in the imago Dei, the image of God. There is nothing like humanity. We are so special. You and I are the reflection of God in this universe. That is so awesome. And even those that oppose you or are against you and don't believe the same thing are still created in the image of God. Last week, we talked about this mind-blowing idea of this... You know, the creed was mentioning Jesus, but making him the essence of God, making him God as well. Last week, we unpacked this idea of Trinity, the triune God, knowing who God truly is. When we say God, what do we mean by that? And you're going to see this more and more throughout this series. And a lot of you took a picture and you're going to your notes now to try to fill in the rest of that picture. That we serve one God. It is three in the essence of one. That the Father, our Heavenly Father, is God. That the Son, Jesus, is God and Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. Because where is the Father right now? He's sitting in his throne in heaven. God's word says, where is Jesus in this moment? At the right hand of the Father. Distinct. And then who is the essence, the personhood of God working and living in us and working in the world today. If the Father's in heaven and the Son, Jesus, is at his right hand, who's working in us? Who is in us? Holy Spirit, God's presence is working in us and through us, and he's the active agent, if you will, of God working in the world today. And so we understood what that meant. But I have a goal for us today. My goal is to paint the clearest picture of Jesus. Now, I could, we could take an entire teaching series on Jesus, and I'm, I think there's a, a particular aspect that we have to get to this today, I'm not, and there's so many aspects of Jesus, and I can't do it justice covering it in one message. But here's what I know. Some of us are in this room this size. We have a different picture of Jesus. Maybe for some of you, this is like, it, let's look at this as an example. Maybe like you have this awesome view of Jesus, right? Like, you're, you're even this girl like, yes, I know Jesus, it's awesome. But reality is, it's this. <laughs> it's tumbling, it's, it's like, it's distorted. Do we think we know it, reality, but this is actually what's happening. We sit there and we worship Jesus, and someone asks us who is Jesus, we don't know how to answer and we're tumbling. We're falling down. And so my aim is to give a very clear picture of who Jesus is, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, remember, Christ is not his last name. Christ means Messiah. That's what it means, or anointed one. So again, as I said last week, it was not Mary or Joseph and Mary Christ. That was not the last name, right? And I didn't realize how many just people in our faith 
did not know that, and that's, that's okay. I'm here to help us, okay? I'm here to help us. I want to have four brief conversations with us today. There are four conversations to answer and have questions in each conversation. Number one, did Jesus exist? We need to go there. Was there ever really a Jesus of Nazareth? <laughs> Number two, who was Jesus if he did exist? Number three, we want to know what was Jesus like as the Son of God? What was he like? And number four, so what? Why does this part even of the creed and in our faith even matter? Can we just worship God? So what? What about this Jesus? So let's go into um, a beautiful question found in the book of Mark chapter 8. I love this question because I think it's an invitation for us this morning. Jesus has been preaching. He's been doing his ministry now. And crowds are starting to be like, hey, who is this guy, right? He's a great teacher. We've seen some pretty cool miracles, right? I mean, the guy spits in mud, puts spit mud on people's eyes and they see. Pretty cool. So they're wondering, what is this Jesus? And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks this question to his 12 disciples, to his 12 closest friends. He says this, who do people say I am? He wants to know, what do the crowd say about me? And of course, the disciples answer, hey, some say you're like Elijah. That's what some believe in this moment. Some say you're Elijah. Uh, Some literally also say, like, you're just a prophet, That's who you are. Others are saying you're John the Baptist. Like, there's a wide range of what people say who you are, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? It's still true today. You can ask someone Jesus or say Jesus, and they have a completely different definition than you. And so did people back then. Jesus, the word Jesus has crept everywhere into our culture. Everywhere. Everywhere. Whether it's in the faith realm or not, or it's in the unbelieving uh, secular out in the world, Jesus has crept in everywhere. Interesting for a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Here's what's interesting. If you ever had a, a boss that's like unbelieving and says, oh, ye of little faith, guess where that came from? Jesus. Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you're doing a great job quoting Jesus, Right? Well, you know, I mean, you stub your toe, people stub their toe, they want to praise Jesus when they do, right? I mean, using it in the wrong context, but you say his name, interesting, he's crept into everywhere. We can't get away from Jesus, there's a reason why. And Jesus says, who does everyone say I am? They got all answers, John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're, you're just a great prophet, and then Jesus flips the script. I'm not worried about the crowds anymore, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Remember, he's having a conversation with the 12 disciples. I want to know who do you guys say I am? I think that's the invitation for us this morning as we journey together. Who do you say he is? So let's jump into the first conversation and the first question. Did Jesus exist? Was there truly a Jesus of Nazareth? Well, here's, here's a list of guys that truly believed that Jesus of Nazareth existed. 
You have a guy by the name of Matthew. Yes, he wrote the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector who everyone hated. Jesus went up to him and says, hey, come follow me. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus who chose to follow after Jesus. After Jesus was gone, wrote a letter to say, hey, I gotta tell everyone the truth of who this Jesus Christ is. Mark. Mark actually hung out with Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, and says, wow, I'm amazed by how Peter's changed and how he believes this. And Mark writes a letter about the life of Jesus and risks his life writing about this Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth. Luke was a doctor who thoroughly, absolutely investigated all these accounts and records and all this oral and written tradition of who this Jesus was and put that all into a letter known as the book of Luke what you and I have, wrote about the life of Jesus. A doctor said, yes, this Jesus existed. John, the youngest of all the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was like a little brother to Jesus. A disciple of his says, yes, this Jesus existed. By the way, he writes the gospel of John. He writes first, second, and third John, and he writes the book of Revelation. He risks his life so much that he's like, I have to keep writing. I have to keep writing because this Jesus changes lives. I got to keep telling people about him. Paul, oh, who we are introduced to as Saul, a Pharisee of all Pharisees, a rabbi that went around to stomp the Jesus movement to arrest Christians because he hated this idea that this Jesus could have been the son of God, went around, encountered Jesus, changed his name from Saul to Paul and was radically changed. And he goes around and Paul becomes the greatest first century missionary we've ever seen. You read about him in the book of Acts. He's going from church to church to church, planting here, there, 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 there. And he writes almost two-thirds of your New Testament Paul does. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who also writes a letter, first and second, Peter sits there and goes, I was a disciple of Jesus. I'm the one that Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Because Paul's the one who knows, or Peter's the one who knows who Jesus Christ is. And we'll come back to that. James, the brother of Jesus. Think about that. How many times have you truly believed your brother or sister? Hard convincing. James is going to go and sit there and goes, all right, guys, I got to write about it. Who we have his letter, James in the New Testament, sits there and goes, my brother was the son of God. He, you know, I realized mom and dad never punished him. He did get everything right all the time. Like, James says, not only, I love how James opens up his letter a servant of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's your brother. I'm gladly a servant of him. Jude, also a disciple, wrote the book of Jude that you have. And I know you look at this list and say, Ryan, but that's all Bible people. Okay, let me tell you history people. This is outside the Bible. You have Clement of Rome who existed around, wrote in AD 80, about the life of Jesus that says, yes, I was not there when he lived. However, I hear all the stories and he is a part out of the Bible. So there goes this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's real. He risked his life writing about it. You have Josephus, who is a Jewish historian around AD 90. Now stop there. 
There is a distinction between Christians and Jews. Jesus was a Jew, absolutely. But hear me, Jews are not Christians. There's confusion there. Here's the biggest difference. When I studied in Israel six years ago, we had one of the guys that have to go with us. You have to be um, shown around by a government um, authoritative, um, what do you call it, uh, guide. Even though we had our own guy, you still have to by the government authority in Israel to be um, taken around by someone who has the rights to take you to certain sites. And he was talking to us, and he was a Jew, and he says, you know, the difference between us Jews and you Christians, we may worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the difference is your Messiah came in Jesus Christ. We're still waiting for our Messiah. Jews don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. They believe he's a great prophet. Now, the difference is if you're a Messianic Jew, a Messianic Jew believes Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the Jews in general are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. They do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe he's a great prophet, study him, he's a great guy. We sit there and go, no, he is the Son of God who took away our sins and made us right with our Heavenly Father, that we are now clothed in righteousness and we can be redeemed and bought back because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. That's a big difference. Know that. All right, that was a side tangent. See, you're going to win more Jeopardy questions. You're going to be awesome. But a Jewish historian who has, doesn't need to say anything about this Jesus writes about it and says, yeah, this dude really existed and he did some pretty amazing things. I think I have one of his quotes. Um, yes, this is what he says. Jesus was a wise man. He performed surprising deeds. You and I would call them miracles, but he has a hard time because he's a Jew to say these are actually miracles. They're surprising deeds, right? Surprising deeds and was a teacher with a large following and the tribe of the Christians so named after him has still to this day not disappeared. That's what Josephus in AD 90 writes about Jesus. Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp of Smyrna in AD 100. Sit there and look at there and says, yep, there is no doubt this Jesus existed of Nazareth. And Taxius, a Roman historian, who by the way would probably want to destroy anything Jesus, a Roman historian sits there and goes, yeah, I worship pagan gods, but however, I want you to know Jesus was a real person. And that's just a glimpse of those out in history that had nothing to do with the Bible, writes about him. Now, oh, by the way, Taxius also says in one of his letters that he writes, he sits there and goes, yeah, by the way, that's how Christians get their name, after Christ. That's how they got their name. Now you'd be saying, Ryan, this is ancient, this is old, this is history, history's boring. You may be right. So let me show you a quote by modern day atheist and New Testament um, critic. This is what he says, he's an atheist. In other words, atheism, he doesn't believe there's a God. That's a religion. You have a belief system governing the way you live. He has says, there's no God. But this is what he writes. His name is Bart Ehrman. He writes this, with respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life and the sources lying behind the gospels and the writings of Paul. Historical sources like that are pretty astounding for an ancient figure of any kind. Any kind. The claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. Atheist. Modern day atheist saying that. And then continues. Jesus existed. Whoo! 
An atheist says, yeah, there is no doubt this Jesus existed. And the vocal persons who deny it do so not because they have considered the evidence with the dispassionate eye of the historian, but because they have some other agenda that, den- that, de- that, is, that this denial serves. From a dispassionate point of view, there was a Jesus of Nazareth. Did Jesus exist? Biblical evidence, yes. Historian evidence, yes. We don't have to throw out history and intellect. They beautifully can come together. And even modern day atheists who've done with the dispassionate that have no agenda can sit there and go, this Jesus of Nazareth is real. So it leads to the question then, if this Jesus was real, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Let's jump back into the creed because that line, these lines are so critical for you and I. And I'm going to give you another word that you're going to win another Jeopardy question with today. Okay, let's jump into the creed. Remember we read this earlier. It reads this way. Who for us humanity, in other words, Jesus was for you. And get this, he's for our what friends? Our salvation, churchy word, means our redemption, our relationship bought back with Christ. That moment you put your faith and trust into who Jesus is, you surrender and go all in. That is your moment of salvation. You can say, I've said the sinner prayer where I dedicated my life and heart and asked God to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to choose to follow him the rest of my days of my life. That salvation. Well, who was Jesus? He came for your salvation to redeem you and buy back because you are never going to be good enough to get right with God. It had to take that perfect, sinless lamb God, Jesus, to do it for us. And he gladly did. So you and I could have salvation. For who us humanity and for our salvation came down from heaven. Was, what's this one word? It was incarnate. What does that mean? Incarnation. What's this idea of incarnate? I don't, Ryan, you're blowing my mind. What is this word? It means that God and flesh together incarnate, deity and human together. He was made human, was born perfectly of the Holy Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I, I don't know how it happened, nor do you. But it's faith to believe that it happened. And that Mary gave birth by whom, watch this, by whom he took body. He took on flesh in human form. He had a soul. He had a mind just like you and I. And everything that is man, he took on truly and not in semblance. He didn't semi look like a man. This God took on human flesh and was fully human and good man. Man which is human, and God. That's what I meant to say, right? You know the theology term of this. The blending of the human and God together is known as the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union, that's your Jeopardy answer. Hypostatic union, it's the theology and it's our doctrine that yes, Jesus Christ was one man, but he had two distinct natures. Fully God, fully human. 
not this little potion that we take a bowl and be like, here's a little bit of God, here's a little bit of human, let's mix it up together, and oh, look what we got, we got a Jesus. No. Fully that God came and took on flesh. God came and took on flesh. That Jesus knew exactly what it meant to be human as you are human. Jesus knew exactly what it was like to be tempted and to weep and mourn loss of friends. He knows exactly what you're going through because he was fully human but remained sinless. Yet he knew exactly what it was like to be fully God. And that that God left the throne room of heaven and took on human form so you and I can be redeemed and brought back into a right relationship with God. I love what the writers of Philippians says. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wouldn't that be awesome if he did? I mean, probably not, but to every, it would be it for us because we get to read about it, not for that time, right? I keep going, like he would be the greatest kickball player ever to live. Like he'd be hitting home runs, like Tom Brady would have nothing on Jesus if Jesus had a football in his hand. Like how <laughs> Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Do you see what the writer, uh, what Paul's writing to the church in Philippi? In Philippians, listen, he's sitting there going, the hypostatic union of Christ, he is God and he is a servant. He took on human. He is God, he is human. They are two, they are one, but one man with two distinct natures. One man, two distinct natures, being made human in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The difference in our faith, Christianity, and the rest of the religions in the world is all their gods are a distant God that doesn't care about their creation. But our God said, I love humanity too much to live in that sin. I'm coming down to make what was created in sin distorted to make that right. And I gotta come down and it's gonna be in flesh. He's gonna be my son and his name's Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this. No other faith believes that their God left the throne room to come as creator to be in his own creation. But we do, why? Because we serve a loving God who says, you are my imago Dei. You're my image, and sin has marred that image, and we need to restore it and make it right. God is not an over there God, but a right here God. He is with us. He is, yes, he is in the throne room. The heavenly Father's in the throne room with Jesus sitting right next to him, but he's right here in the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, working through us. He has never left us. Never, ever. Well, what was Jesus like? If this Jesus existed, the biblical writers, historians all say, modern day atheists say this Jesus was real. And if we looked at a little bit about this hypostatic union that yes, Jesus was fully God and fully human. What was Jesus like? Luke chapter 19, probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories because we're gonna realize that Jesus comes to earth, 
God taking human flesh and in the middle of it, reminding us who our creator God is. See, there's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, not liked, not very popular. And Jesus is going to come and have an interaction with him. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, begins this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Do you know how many times Jesus ever went to the city of Jericho? One time that we have recorded. So as you read scripture, pay attention and know things. Dive in and ask the scripture questions. Pretty important that this is the one time Jesus goes into the city. We ought to pay attention to what's happening. He enters Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Who was Zacchaeus? Chief tax collector. Oh, by the way, he had some money. Now, right away, Luke is giving us details. What is a chief tax collector? Oh, man, he's ruling other tax collectors. Like, this is the mob boss of the mob boss, right? Like, he's head honcho. This is a guy you hate, you despise. You know why? You're already getting ripped off with taxes because you have to. We're under the thumb oppression of the Roman government at this time, by the way. Uh, Tiberius is the emperor sitting on the throne in Rome who's ruling our part of, the, part of the world and he wants to tax you like every good government loves to tax us, right? The Romans did a great job, but then they sent out more IRS agents and they put them everywhere. And not only were they IRS agents, tax collectors who could get more money from you, but then there was like head IRS agents that could tax you more. And we're sitting here going, if we live back in the day, we hate these people. This is unfair. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm fishing all day and you're going to take three of my fish. And then the chief tax collector who wants to be wealthy, you must tax me more. And he's like, hey, by the way, give me two more fish. And now you're like, wait, ten are mine. He says, no, fine. You said that, give me two more. Now you're going home with only three fish. And that's the way the system worked. You thought it was unfair. You didn't like these people. And here Zacchaeus is going to meet this Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Boot, that's what I'll say, but. (laughs) Boot, because he was short. (laughs) We're from the UP right now, boot. Because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Anyone can relate to that? Yeah. Vertically challenged people. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, we don't have any sycamore fig trees. We have sycamore trees here in the United States, but they're not the same. A sycamore fig tree, I should have showed you a picture. It's a huge, massive tree, but the branches start real low. So it's easy to climb. Of course a short person can climb it. It's easy. Here we go. When Jesus, I just don't have that problem, sorry. I got a lot of other problems. That ain't one. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, it was a rough week. Sorry. Rough week is, is, forgive me. This is what he says to the guy that none of us like. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. You are condemned to death. You heathen, everyone hates you. No, he didn't say that. This is what he says. I must stay at your house today. The God 
who took on flesh says, I want to have dinner with you. Capital center of our time, God in flesh says, let's go to the table together. God could have, Jesus in this moment, he could have done anything. He could have had anything he wanted to. This is his first visit in the city of Jericho. Maybe explore, right? We know a little bit about Jericho. Had some fortified walls, came down. When we read the Old Testament, understand, they marched around the walls. These walls came down. It was a double-walled city. I mean, don't you want to explore a little bit? Like, you can do anything you want. You are Jesus. You are the Son of God. And your one trip to Jericho You want to meet with the biggest sinner and the most hated person in that city. And Jesus says, I will gladly sit down with him. Who was Jesus? One who's willing to sit at the table with sinners. The story continues. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly and all the people saw this and began to mutter he's gone to be the guest we're not even going to say his name we're just going to call him a sinner wow who are these people they're the religious leaders who can't imagine that God would step down from his throne room take on flesh and go like this and say to a sinner let's sit down and talk because back in that time you don't do that we have rules to abide by we have things that we don't want to associate with sinners we're holy we're righteous who is Jesus the one who gladly said, I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. The story continues. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, hey, will you all forgive me on that? Hey, by the way, Jesus says you have to forgive if you want to be forgiven, so thank you. You have to. All right. Talking. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which by the way, Zacchaeus, you have, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today, what friends? Today, salvation. The reason why Jesus came, because salvation, to make everything right with our heavenly father, with God, our creator. Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, when I sit at the table with the biggest sinner in the city, there was salvation. The guy became changed. Who was Jesus? The one that came to change everything, even with the sinner. Because this man is the son of Abraham. And then the mission statement of Jesus. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus sat down with a sinner. You know why I love this story? I love this story because you and I are Zacchaeus. You and I are Zacchaeus. We are Zacchaeus in this story. 
And the question now becomes, so what? So what about this, Jesus? Who cares? Three words that will radically change your life is Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. And you and I, our own table that you and I sit at, and Jesus gladly pulls this chair and says, let's eat together. And what's amazing that Jesus changes everything is that you and I are Zacchaeus, the sinner in this story. You and I may be carrying a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of sin into this room. But I want you to know something. So what about Jesus? We are met with godly compassion right here at the table with Jesus. And I love this verse that John writes in John, in his gospel, John 1, verse 17. And this is where it changes for us. This is what he says about Jesus. He re- it reads this way. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You and I, in all of our sinfulness, we are met right here at the table. Jesus gladly says, I'll meet you here and let's talk. But what is godly compassion? I would define godly compassion as this. Godly compassion holds truth firmly and grace freely. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You hold those. Now here's the issue. Jesus meets us here with godly compassion like no other. He met Zacchaeus at the table. And what did he do with Zacchaeus? What did he do in that moment? Did he sit there and go, hey, Zacchaeus, just, you know, you ought to just keep doing what you're doing. Keep ripping the people off. They love it, man. You just keep getting wealthy. No. He didn't say that. But what do we know? We know that Zacchaeus repented. Because in that moment, Jesus brought truth firmly and grace freely. Zacchaeus, you're ripping people off. It's hurting them. But I want you to know, my grace will cover all of that. But you gotta repent. And he gladly repented. Who is this Jesus? So what? You got to not only receive this compassion that God brings to us in our mess of truth firmly and grace freely, we ought to do that the same with others. If we're to live like Jesus, And if we're honest, maybe we don't do that well. Maybe for the last 16 to 18 months, we haven't done truth firmly and grace freely at all. But if that's where Jesus meets us, which we're super thankful for, why aren't we doing the same with others? Because know this, godly compassion without truth is condoning In other words, if all you are is full of grace and no truth, it's meaningless. 
it's meaningless. And this is what our culture sitting there to, today is saying to us. This is what the shift in culture. Hey, you do you, boo-boo. I mean, you're a good person. And we call that loving. We call that I'm bringing compassion to them. How much hate do you have to have to allow someone to keep sinning and be spiritually dead inside? And this is what culture, the tide of culture right now is. Bring grace, but no truth. How dead spiritually do you have to be to not remind this person that without Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity away from him? But there's a flip to this. Godly compassion without grace is condemning. In other words, grace without truth is just mean. You know why we tend to do this one more? This one's easier. Ready? Just knock it off and stop sinning. Hey, I'm going to post something on Facebook, by the way, you evil, evil heathen. And what we do is we just shout truth without the grace. Pulling up a chair. This right here gets messy. This right here takes time. But the Son of God did that with you and did that with me. Oh, we should do that with others. We all love John 3.16. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we stop there and sit there and go, yes. Will you memorize the next verse? John 3, 17 then says this, for God did not send his son into the world to what, friends? <laughs> Some of us, if we're honest, that's what we're good at. We love to bring the truth without the grace. And that's not godly compassion. God sent Jesus to save the world through him. Godly compassion without grace. It's just condemning. Jesus changes everything. So what? Your life can be radically changed because Jesus pulls up a chair at your table and meets you in your mess and your shame, and your guilt, and your sin. And he says, let's have a talk.
One of my prayers for this church is that we would speak the name of Jesus over everything. That not only on Sunday morning do we speak the name of Jesus, but every home would speak the name of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to stand in this moment. And we're going to sing a song together. The song says, I speak Jesus, knowing Jesus changes everything. The song, the beginning lines say, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Jesus changes everything. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Oh, Jesus meets you at the table of grace and truth. And aren't you thankful for that? May we, church, speak the name of Jesus. So, Heavenly Father, we give you all praise, honor, and glory. Thank you that in our mess... You met us. You redeemed us. You restored us to a right relationship with our creator. God, you are amazing. And may we speak the name of Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God in his throne room stepping down out of heaven, putting on flesh his son, Jesus, to change everything, to make everything that was broken because sin entered this world and restore it and redeem it and set it right. For Zacchaeus in that moment, I keep going back, I love it so much. Today, salvation, Zacchaeus. He knew what it was like to speak the name of Jesus now. Because everything changed for Zacchaeus. In the Older Testament, in order to have a relationship with God, you had rules to follow. Once a year, the high priest would sacrifice an animal, a lamb, a spotless lamb for the forgiveness of the sins on the whole nation of Israel. Now you and I can enter in a relationship with God, not through that animal sacrifice system because Jesus did it once and for all. That we don't have to do that anymore. For salvation can come to you and I with simple words of just surrendering your life and heart to the name of Jesus. Remember we started off with Jesus and his 12 disciples and Jesus asked the question, who do people say I am? Different answers, narrow focus, but what about you? Who do you say I am? The invitation for us today is to us answer that.
And Peter knew it. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's who you are. I love what C.S. Lewis says about Jesus. Here's his quote. He says this, you can shut him up as a liar. You can dismiss him as a lunatic. Or you can bow to him as Lord. But one thing you cannot do is ignore his claims to be God. So make it personal, friends. Family, who do you say Jesus is? For today, salvation, Zacchaeus. Everything changes with Jesus. Prayer team, will you please make your way up to the corners? Our prayer team is there in the corners. If you need prayer this morning, if maybe for some of you, you're like, Ryan, I, he's not Lord, he's not Savior. No, let me back that up. Hold on. Maybe for a lot of us, he is Savior, but he's not Lord. We're happy he's our Savior to forgive us of our sins because we don't want to go to hell. But you've never made him Lord, master of your life. The prayer team would love to pray with you and for you. Or if you've got another burden on your heart, the prayer team are in the corners. But we want to close with one more song. Please don't leave here without a decision of who you think Jesus is. And come back next week because I'm going to bring it next week. Okay? Well, I'm glad you're clapping now. We'll wait till next week. (laughs) All right? But the name of Jesus, this church has defined the name of Jesus according to the scriptures. He's the son of God. He is fully human and fully man. He is the son of God, the savior of the world. He is our Messiah. He is our only way into a right relationship with God. It's through putting your faith and trust into Jesus Christ. That is the Jesus this church will shout over you, will shout over the neighborhoods in this community and beyond. Everything changes with Jesus Christ. Everything. And he has no rival. The demonic world is trying. The demonic spiritual world is real. The enemy of your soul is trying to destroy you. To not live into the abundant life that Jesus Christ came and gave for you to experience here and now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience heaven. We can get a glimpse of heaven now by walking with Jesus and having the Holy Spirit in us and through us. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. So let us keep worshiping that he was the word in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It was Jesus. He has no rival. There is a beautiful name and the name is Jesus. Let's worship.